Well, it can be very obvious when someone has a high level of commitment to something, high level of devotion. I used to be at church with two families, very close friends with each other, uh, and they're all keen on the footy. And all of them go for the bulldogs, except for the youngest boy. You see him there in the picture. The youngest boy in one of the families, Mason, he goes for the bunnies, the rabbitos, as you can see. So each year they go to a match between them. Uh, I think it's on Good Friday, and there's a bit of a tradition. And Mason's there every time amongst all the others with a big smile and his green and red colours on. Some of their friends and family thought this was quite a funny situation and so started to buy Mason more and more Rabbitohs gears for birthdays and Christmas presents. So he's got enough Rabbitohs clothing to wear it virtually all the time and, and that's what he does. Whenever he's not in school uniform or doesn't have to wear something else, he's, he's in green and red. Everyone can tell that Mason loves the Rabbitohs. And in a way, Mason illustrates what real devotion looks like. He wears the colours all the time, not just on game day. He doesn't conform to the pattern of those around him. He sticks to his allegiance. And don't you worry, he won't be alone when it comes to game day. On game day, he's surrounded by a whole bunch of others with the same allegiance, the same colours. When it comes to our devotion, not to a sports team, but to the God has shown us such great, lavish mercy and grace, does our worship of God, does it colour every moment? Does it colour every activity in our lives? Or are we more like game day Christians, where our worship of the Lord Jesus just affects a particular part of our lives. It's right to see this gathering Sundays as a very special time of worship, but worship of God is certainly bigger than that, more comprehensive than our time together during the week. So what does true worship look like? What does it look like to give our whole selves, all of life to God? Well, we'll work through these first verses of Romans to hear what God has to say about our worship of him. And we'll have a bigger focus on the first two verses because they seem to be Paul's headline for this new section of of Romans. As you'll see in your outline, we'll consider what true worship looks like Uh, I've got an outline here, just inside your bulletin in case you're looking for it. Firstly, in regards to God, and secondly, in the world we live in, and thirdly, in the church, in our church. So come with me to verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I'll just pause there. You might have heard that whenever there's a, a therefore in the Bible, it's always good to ask what, it's, what the therefore is there for, because whatever comes next, is it's reliant on, on what's been said. The therefore could refer just back to the previous verse or to a, a larger section, and in this case, it's that, that much more. Romans 1 to 11 is, is summarized here by Paul as, as God's mercy. His wonderful grace and mercy in saving us. We were once objects of his wrath, but now we've been given 
the righteousness of Christ, new life in the spirit, the hope of glory. Look at how much we've been given, just like Pete said in the kids' talk. And so of all the therefores in the Bible, this is a pretty big one. All of this, all of this you've been given, therefore, here's how to respond. It's the reason we've got a new picture for the series. Life-changing news. That's where we're heading this term in Romans 12 to 16. Now let's have another look at this response in verse 1 that we're called to. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship, it's the proper response to God's mercies. And it's also worth remembering that there's another reason from Romans chapter 1 why worship is the proper response to God. As the divine creator, the one who made all things, who made us, he is worthy by nature to receive our worship. And this is actually where the word comes from. Worship, worship, worship is acknowledging and declaring his worth, his glory, his value. So because of what God has done for us and because of who he is, we worship him. God pours out his grace and mercy for our good, but also that he might be glorified. And worship is getting on board with that agenda. So what should our worship look like? That's a bit of what it is, but what should it look like? We'll have a look at at what it says in verse 1. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The challenge and invitation we receive today is to offer all of ourselves to God, to give him everything we are and everything we have. Last week we had that picture of selling everything to get a priceless treasure. Well, today it's a similar message, but a a very different picture. It's a picture of sacrifice. Now, during that first Bible reading, it's a bit bit of an uncomfortable picture, isn't it? A slaughtering an animal, splashing its blood on the sides of an altar, burning the whole thing up. Yikes. I'm sure many of us were thinking, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. But the sacrifices we heard about there in Leviticus 1 are actually in the background of the the message we're hearing today. That offering in Leviticus 1, it's not a payment for sin so much, actually. That comes later in in later chapters of Leviticus. But it's, it's it's an act of worship, offering up the best of the best and burning it all up so that it might please God. So although we don't worship God in that way anymore, we're actually called to something even greater, an even greater sacrifice. Rather than just offering up your best sheep or cow, God calls us to offer our own body, our entire lives, our very selves in worship of him. You might have heard it a couple of times in that Leviticus passage, burn all of it. Burn all of it up on the altar. All of it's burned up. There's none left, nothing left for the person who offered it. 
And in Romans, this living sacrifice, this means that not, not burning our bodies up, but giving it all to God. We say to God, take my life, just like we sung before. It's all for you. I offer my body, my life, my everything I have, everything you've given me, I want to worship you with it. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army that did a lot of wonderful acts of mercy and, and gospel proclamation. And he was the founder of it. And someone asked him once to explain how did, how did your life have such an impact? And this is all he said. He said, Jesus Christ has all of me. Jesus Christ has all of me. It's quite a challenging statement. It, it makes us think, wow, does, does Jesus Christ have all of me? Or are there parts of my life that I've held back? Parts that I reserve it as mine and protect a bit. But just as we sung before, we, we ought to pray, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And we should go on as the song goes on to offer every single part as well. Take my moments, take my days, my hands, my feet, my lo- voice, my lips, my silver, my gold, my intellect, my will, my heart, my love, myself. Take it all, Lord. True worship is offering up every part, every aspect of our existence to God. And when we do this, it pleases God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And you might have heard this in Leviticus as well. It's an aroma, pleasing to the Lord. Just picture that burnt offering, the the smell of it rising up into God's nostrils if he had them. And he likes the smell. God likes it when his people offer themselves to him. It pleases him. God likes it when when tired parents are, are continually patient with young children. God likes it when we work with all our heart as if working for the Lord, not for men. God likes it when a husband and a wife continue to love and cherish one another through the years, through the ups and downs, in sickness and in health. And God likes it when we carve out time, getting up early or foregoing other things, to devote ourselves to him in word and prayer. It pleases God when we choose him over other things. This is true worship. Not not just a select few parts of our life, but everything. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. It's a huge calling, isn't it? And we might ask, is it worth it? Is it really worth giving up everything for And the Bible gives a resounding yes. Yes, it's worth it. Because as we saw last week, it's the priceless treasure worth more than anything else, everything else. And there's another resounding yes here. It's because he has shown us such great mercy and he is worthy of all 
our praise and glory. And it pleases him. It pleases God when we give ourselves to him. He is the only one worth living for. All other things we might give ourselves to, work, family, recreation, comfort, they are good gifts of God, but they're not worth living for. The uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a series of question and questions and answers about the Christian faith, the first question asks this, what is the chief end of man? What's the purpose of a human? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Friends, this is what we exist for. This is what we are created for. This is why Jesus died for us, that we might worship him in relationship, which pleases him and actually brings us joy. Now, if you're here today and you're dipping your toes into the water with church, but not quite all in with Jesus yet, we're so glad you're here. We'd love to help you test the waters however we can. So please do have a chat to someone you came with today or, or Dave or Janet or I. Because here at DPC, we believe that giving your, your life, yourself, everything to Jesus is the very best thing. So that's the first point, that true worship is to offer our entire beings to God. This pleases him. And now secondly, we'll see what true worship looks like as people living in this world. Let's have a look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You might have heard we're to be in the world, but not of the world. This world, it literally says this age soon to be taken over by the age to come when Jesus returns. And so this world, this present age, it, it's got an expiry date. It, it's passing. Its destiny is destruction. So it's foolish to get attached to it. But when it, uh, sometimes, sometimes when it comes to old food in the fridge, uh, I like to take the risk and eat it because I hate wasting food but a few times I've really suffered for that and uh, regretted it but it is not worth taking the risk with conforming to the patterns of this world they're expired their destiny is destruction it's not worth it so Paul says do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed there will always be pressure or temptation to conform, to think like the world thinks, to treasure the things the world treasures. You know, peer pressure doesn't end in high school. There are demands that can press us in the workplace, for example, and worldly lifestyles that that look so attractive. I don't often get to do this, but uh, yesterday while Rachel was at, at Equip, uh, I had the kids and just decided to take a slow morning and wander around Birkenhead Point, look at the shops, get a couple of things, eat lunch there, and I had a really nice time. With time to kill and, and money to spend, it was a taste of this lifestyle 
around us that's so delicious and luxurious. But the love of money is one pattern of this world that we need to be on guard against. And instead of conforming to patterns like that, we're, trans- we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God is doing his work in us, transforming us, and, and the way he does it is through our minds. The Spirit doesn't kind of take over control of our minds and just make us into robots, but our brains are part of the process and we cooperate with the Spirit that God has given us. So have a look at halfway through verse 2 at the result of this renewal. It says, Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we engage our minds in the word of God regularly, on Sundays and, and throughout the week, our minds will be renewed to know what God's will is and to obey it, to know what what is the where where we ought to contrast with the world and and since there is to be this stark contrast do not be conformed but be transformed is there a difference in the way you live compared to the rest of the world could someone tell that you are a transformed renewed worshipper in the way you study or, or work when no one's watching in the way you treat your colleagues or or those you manage, in the way you speak to your family after a a long and hard day. Just like Mason wearing the rabbitos gear to do his homework, our worship of God ought to colour every part of our lives. So we've seen, firstly, true worship is a living sacrifice offered to God. True worship is not to conform to this world, but to be transformed. And now thirdly, we see that a true worshipper plays their part in the body of Christ. Let's have a look at verses 3 to 8. Paul starts by talking to each individual. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We're not to think that we're somehow more important than others, but each a valued part of the whole, in accordance to the faith God has given you. Well, what what does he mean by that, in accordance to the faith God has given you? Well, let's keep reading in verse 4 to 6. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So essentially the message is that each one of us is a member of the whole, and God has gifted each one of us specifically. It's It's not about you, it's not about me, but it's about the whole. Diversity, but united as one, with Christ as the head. Now just think about the human body. We have ears, eyes, fingers, toes, kidneys, spleen, all different parts with very different functions. 
yet all equally part of the body, equally valued. And there's great delight to be, to be had in, in, in recognising the diversity, seeing God's wisdom in making all of us differently and bringing us together as one to serve one another. There's a list given in verses 6 to 8 of prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. And the instruction about these gifts is to use them and to use them well, not to be idle or half-hearted in it. Now, if you look at this list and sometimes we might think, oh, I'm not sure if I've gifted with any of those things. Where do I fit in the body? How, how do I contribute? Well, well, this list is not exhaustive of the things God has given us to serve one another. The more important thing is to be available and, and ready to offer what you can for the building up of the body. Each one of us is a key part, a key member of the whole. We belong to one another and we, we need each other. It would be no good if we had five arms and no legs or, or three lungs and no liver. You and I belong to each other and God has placed us here specifically. So what a joy it is to have all these different people on display, not display, but serving, welcomers, musicians, PA, leading, morning tea, food to eat and people to eat it with, people to speak with and pray with. And that's just to mention a few here on Sunday. There's more on Sunday and more throughout the week, more ways we're able to serve one another, to build one another up and worship God together. So true worship is demonstrated here in the local church as we gather together and each play our part. But as we've seen, it's also in all of life, the rest of life, as we offer ourselves to him and do not be conformed to the world, but transformed to conform to the will of God. Now, uh, many of you will know the story of Jim Elliott, an American missionary who went with several others to the jungles of Ecuador to take the gospel to, to a very hostile native tribe called the Orcas. And in the end, Jim and four other teammates actually were killed by this tribe before they even really got to share the gospel with them. Later on, his wife, Elizabeth, actually went there and was able to share the gospel with this tribe. But very few of us, if any of us, will die for our witness to Christ. Some of us might become missionaries in another country, but all of us are called to give ourselves completely to God in worship for our good and for his glory. So I'm going to read a few lines of Jim Elliott's diary that I think grow our enthusiasm for this calling of giving ourselves to God. Here's what he said in his diary. I walked out to the hill just now. It is exulting, delicious to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing at your heart. 
to gaze and glory and give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him and please him.